10, 10, 2, 3. October 10th, 2023. And this one's called the Tabby Cocktail. Greetings, everyone. I'm enjoying a fall hike on this uh, crisp autumnal day. The ground is wet. I've got on my grounding shoes, so my feet are getting as many good things from the ground that it can get. Uh, and I'm just doing a little tidbit today. I want to talk about the uh, transition of the seasons and some ways that we can support that, as well as some information I've put together on how to detox estrogen. This will be for men as well as women because it is something that we live in a sea of. We have all the xenoestrogens from all these foreign compounds like fragrances and uh, exhaust and Wi-Fi, all of these things. And then we have the phytoestrogens that are in the food. So it's really quite a gaggle of a lot of these things that when time goes on and our livers get backed up, detox becomes something that is not always attainable for everybody. And by detox, I don't mean doing enemas and fasting and uh, juice cleansing and taking a heap of all these supplements that's just expensive piss. I mean living in a way that actually promotes uh, daily detox as opposed to utilizing all of these heroic, which are really just allopathic methodologies. So first, let's talk a little bit about the transition of the seasons from a traditional Chinese medical perspective and how we can kind of hone in on this, this, uh, this ebb from the summer into the autumn. And of course, pretty soon we're going to be having that daylight savings thing when it's going to be getting darker even earlier. And of course, there are many things we can do to support that with our circadian health and our diet and, and how we just live throughout the day. That time change always throws me off. I don't know why. It seems like a mini jet lag. I think a lot of people feel that way. It's always done that to me. And this time of year, of course, it's the uh, fall back, spring forward. Yeah, that's how it goes. Spring forward, fall back. So we gain the extra hour of sleep or it appears that way, but it starts getting darker earlier. So a little bit about the seasons moving into the fall season in the Northern Hemisphere. We will shed old layers to rebuild anew, both physically and mentally. This is a great time to declutter your space, to let go of what no longer serves you, and to surround yourself with warming foods. Like it wouldn't be appropriate to be eating icy things right now, and that's not really appropriate most of the time for most people. Maybe when you're doing a lot of exercise and, and things like that, but it can affect blood sugar to be eating lots of cold foods, and it can also raise adrenaline. We also want to find ways to hydrate ourselves, perhaps with certain herbs. Now, I'm a fan of more of the nourishing herbs than the stimulatory herbs, and also some practices that could nourish us, like taking this walk, engaging in a sauna, taking a bath, soaking your feet, pranayama, red light, lovemaking, yoga. There's so many. Uh, as we enter the colder season dominated by the yin energies, so things slow down when it's yin, right? Especially important when we live in this very young world. We think of something like Oyedei, which was a bummer for a lot of us, but it brought on this massive pause, this massive influx of yin energy, and it forced all of us to basically fall into the yin. So that was the silver lining of it. 
among some other things, of course. So we get into the cold season, it's dominated by our yin energies, we return to our essence, uninhibited by the clutter of what no longer serves us. Autumn is a season associated with dryness, a concept held by TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, in order to combat the seasonal environmental factors that cause pathological dryness, we need to rehydrate ourselves both externally and internally and in a deeper way than just sipping a glass of water. So yeah, water is, is hydrating to an extent, but you really want to hydrate yourself with rich, warming foods, soups and stews, meats, broths, um, lightly cooked vegetations, the proper uh, maybe root vegetations and, and uh, properly prepared grains and things like that. And also think of more nourishing habits like being on the anti-social medias all the time, especially when we're moving into the yin season. That is really counterproductive, uh, really not a good idea. And it kind of makes me think of how the four seasons of the, the year, not everyone of course has those four seasons depending on where they live, but here in the Northeast we have them, and the four seasons of a woman's menstrual cycle when she's moving in to the bleed time from the luteal phase to the, the moon phase of the, of, the, of the period, it's a good idea to limit the antisocial medias, to limit the screen time. They actually say in TCM that it can affect your, your liver blood if you're taking in too many medias, too many yang things during this, you know, this sacred, very introspective time. So something to consider from the uh, macro perspective of the seasons and the micro perspective of the ebbs and flows of a woman's cycle. So I wanted to share some things that I have been um, engaging in myself that help to lower estrogen. Just to recap, if you're new, estrogen is not the female hormone. It, of course, is more abundant naturally in a biological context in women because we need it to create our secondary sex characteristics. We need it to create... Um, a uterine lining and have a period. We need it to be able to get pregnant and have a baby. But when there's too much in the system, a lot of things can happen. Everything from uh, PMS to uh, seizures to obesity to depression, um, the list goes on. And of course, this can also affect men too. It's a hormone of growth. So that's why it helps with, let's say, um, growing breasts and things like that, right? And that, of course, we need in, in context, but when it's out of control, we can just have things grow too much, like the idea of a tumor growing, right? And like I said, this applies to both men and women. And I've noticed, I was uh, in the city last week, last Wednesday, walking around, uh, just people watching, but also I, was, I wasn't just there to people watch, obviously. I was there to do some shopping and some just like hanging out and stuff. And I noticed that a lot of men are sporting this very estrogenic uh, physique where they have what looks like kind of like female like hips, like where there's padding of adipose tissue on the hip area. Typically most women have that unless they have more of a apple-shaped body where they hold most of their weight in their torso area. And I also noticed that men are kind of having that curved spine, which is indicative of a female skeletal structure, which becomes more... Uh, prevalent during pregnancy when you have what's called, uh, well, I guess in a medical term it would be lordosis, but yeah, it's that it's that curvature of the spine that happens when the belly pushes out. But a lot of men, <laughs> you know, men can't get pregnant. The newsflash for anyone who doesn't know that, uh, this is a biologically normal 
uh, podcast where we talk about things that are actually real. We talk about um, anthropology from a polygenous perspective, and we talk about sex from a dimorphic perspective. But we're seeing now, because of all this estrogen, we're seeing this transsexualizing occurring for both of the sexes. Whether we're into this agenda or not, it's just happening because of our environment, our food choices. Uh, there's so many things. So I put together this super simple list of six ways to lower estrogen. This is something that would behoove essentially everybody. And the older you are, the more of this you're going to have built up in your system. Typically around 30 or 35 for women is when you see a lot of the estrogen dominance symptoms happening. Of course, there are many women in their 20s who are dealing with it too because we live in such um, an imbalanced, dysfunctional world. Of course, even more pronounced after a woman goes through the change of menopause, where maybe on a blood test, it will manifest that estradiol, which is the estrogen of the childbearing years, is low in the blood, but there's plenty of estrogen stored in the tissues, and that's when estrone, the estrogen of menopause actually goes up. And of course, progesterone is pretty much at a very low level at that point because the ovaries are no longer producing it. It's really only the uh, adrenal glands. So this is information, like I said, for guys and for gals, because um, there's so much out there that can pull you in the wrong direction. So many of these uh, regimes and uh, protocols and supplements, they really just cause us to backpedal. And probably many of us who have tried a lot of these things have had to backpedal. Okay, so here's a list. Number one, daily low-dose aspirin. Now, if you notice, the medical community is usually more keen on Tylenol or Advil, which can cause uh, liver damage and uh, block progesterone, which isn't good for guys or gals. Men still need a little bit of progesterone in context. Theirs goes lower around age 50, which also happens with their testosterone. Of course, a lot of guys now are experiencing low testosterone around 30 or 35, just like a lot of women are experiencing low progesterone or estrogen dominance. Um, so there also is something too that's called andropause, which is kind of like the male counterpart of menopause when a man's uh, sex hormones go low and his stress hormones go high. We will see this typically with um, adipose tissue building up around the abdominal region. Oftentimes we'll see uh, gynecomastia or the growth of breasts. We'll see uh, balding, uh, maybe low libido, depression, etc. There's a lot of ways that this can manifest in, in a man. So daily low-dose Aspirin. Aspirin is um, anti-inflammatory and anti-estrogenic. And I know it's been villainized for a long time, but if you look closely in the allopathic medical structure, they really do not recommend it. Uh, and I think that that's because they know that it can be very helpful. Maybe you listening know someone in your past, a senior who maybe took a baby aspirin for their heart, you know, back in the day or something. And of course, these heart issues people have, like heart attacks and heart disease, those are estrogen-driven cancers. Now, if you're reading just a mainstream article like on WebMD or Healthline, they're going to tell you that estrogen is protective of the heart, but that's a hollow hoax. Um, there's a reason why women, women have typically more of these heart diseases, why women have more, quote, autoimmune diseases because of the high estrogen. And also remember that us women have smaller livers and smaller adrenal glands, so we're more sensitive to stress and our detox methodologies are a little, um, a little compromised or a little um, less efficient than, than men. 
But we also have other things like we're able to create life. We have this ebb and flow of hormones that gives us a certain intuition. So it's a give and take. So yeah, low dose aspirin, um, about 110 milligrams is kind of like a low dose. Of course, this is not any guideline for anyone to say, oh yeah, 110, I'm going to do that right now. You have to figure this out yourself. Um, but it would really be something that you might want to look into. And since aspirin has the propensity to thin the blood, you want to take it with a vitamin K2 and M. K4, MK7 formula, because the K2 will kind of help mitigate the um, thinning of the blood that the aspirin does. Plus, just regardless, apart from the, the aspirin, the majority of us grew up on a K-deficient diet, um, and we probably have very low K2. Most of us didn't grow up eating the K2-rich foods like eggs from pastured animals, um, Gouda cheese, things like that. If we were, we probably weren't eating like the good quality. And even though I'm not like a big proponent of liver, there is a lot of K2 in, in poultry liver. Also natto, which is one of the only uh, plant or vegetation sources of K2. Natto, which is a Japanese fermented uh, soybean, doesn't have the estrogenic effects that maybe like soy-fed chicken or soy-fed pork or soy-fed uh, dairy or um, beef would have because it's fermented so it kind of changes its structure and also if it's organic it's it's different plus you're eating just a very very small amount you're not eating like a whole slab or a whole glass of, of milk or something so that's something else to look into uh, it has a texture and a smell and a taste that I'll be honest is not very palatable to Westerners but I like it. Then again, I, I grew up with more of a relationship with it, just like I did with seaweed and, and miso and soy sauce. But it's something to look into, especially if um, maybe you don't have access to the, the good pastured uh, dairy and eggs and things like that. So number one is low-dose daily aspirin. Number two is a vitamin K. Number three is progesterone. Now this would be more contextually appropriate for women. Men can take it too, but they have to be careful not to take too much because it can make the hair on their face fall out and it may um, fiddle with their libido a little bit. But progesterone is basically the hormone that's um, in opposition to estrogen. It's the progestation hormone. Now most gynos, most mainstream or functional gynos, they have shit for brains and they are so ignorant about the endocrine system that they only think progesterone is an issue if you're basically going into menopause. So it's something that many of us ladies, whether we're in our 20s or whether we're in our 60s or even older, could totally benefit from. Now, of course, if we're still in the childbearing part of our life, we want to cycle off of it. We only want to start taking it after ovulation. Otherwise, it will actually act as a contraceptive, which of course would be a hell of a healthier contraceptive than taking the birth control pill. And you have to find the dose that works for you, of course. Uh, that's completely, completely has to be within your context. I couldn't tell you what that is. Number four is thyroid, taking like an NDT, a natural desiccated thyroid, which typically contains both T3 and T4. That can be for guys and gals. When we live in this world of all this stress and xenoestrogens, the thyroid takes a hit. Plus, historically, many of our ancestors would eat things like chicken neck soup, uh, fish head stew, etc. And those were natural sources of thyroid. So it's a very holistic part of the diet. It's actually something that's really totally natural. It's not just like taking some pill from Dr. Z. So something to consider there. Of course, you'd have to figure out what dose works for you.
Okay, so those are the four things that are kind of like on the supplemental vein, right? So now let's think about some food uh, things that we can implement besides what we just went through, the aspirin, the progesterone, the thyroid, the vitamin K. And also I'll mention this with thyroid. There are so many symptoms that may manifest as a thyroid issue. So many. I mean, the classical ones are can't lose weight, losing hair, fatigue, um, hoarse voice, um, scaly skin, dry hair. Those are like the classical symptoms, right? Those are the ones that are low temperature, low pulse. Of, of course, sometimes a hyperthyroid person can have a really high pulse and a high temperature because they're compensating by producing extra adrenaline. So it really makes sense to hone in sometimes on some of the lesser known uh, symptoms of hypothyroidism and there's some pretty magnificent pictures that a lot of them are from many decades ago when they show a before and after of someone with thyroid therapy and their entire body and face change. They show someone who has a lot of weight on their face, a lot of weight on their body and they look like a new person when they have decided that this is basically what they needed. And also maybe if you many remember, especially if you're a little bit older, that back in the day when someone was overweight or obese, it was very common, like in the 50s or so, to say the person had a glandular problem. We don't hear this language anymore now. We always hear, oh, that person eats too much. And if it was just about calories causing obesity, then every person who ate an abundance of calories would be obese, and that's clearly not the case. I've actually seen that many obese people, overweight people, actually eat very little. So it couldn't just be calories in, calories out, like they tell you in a lot of these, you know, very allopathic, uh, quote, health magazines. So actually, obesity is a glandular problem. It is hypothyroidism. Okay, so now two things we can do in regards to food that can help us lower estrogen. And when we lower estrogen, we raise our sex hormones. So we can raise progesterone, we can raise testosterone, we can lower cortisol, lower adrenaline, because when we're young and everything feels good and everything is easy and the stress is less, and of course when we're younger, typically we've experienced less griefs and less traumas. You know, we probably didn't go through the death of our, you know, maybe our, our parents or grandparents or siblings or husband or, or wife or, or child or, or pets or any of these things that can cause just, you know, terrible griefs and traumas to, to manifest inside the body. We want to get back to that youthful state of energy. So here are some groovy tips in regards to food. Adequate animal protein. Yes, animal protein. Plant protein is more it's more like a sidecar and it's more like a, a carbohydrate source, at least in, in my perspective. So 100 grams from eggs, dairy, if you're able to tolerate it, low fat seafood, because some of the higher fat seafoods, as we know, are high in the polyunsaturated fats or the highly unsaturated fats, which are actually considered to be like even more PUFA than PUFA. Ruminant meat, beef, um, elk, venison, lamb, bison, uh, chicken that tends to have less fat on it, especially if it's not pastured. Uh, you really have to get the pastured chicken because it could be fed all types of really estrogenic compounds. So more like chicken breast and stuff like that. Um, you could also do like uh, thighs without the skin and things like that. I mean, a little bit of the skin is, is probably okay, but for someone who's really dealing with 
estrogen like in excess they they want to make certain changes that may reflect something that looks a little more orthodox than other people and the same thing goes for pork it really have to be from a pastured source uh, and more of like a, a low-fat um, source if anything I mean the pork fat if it's from a really good quality animal would be more of a monounsaturated fat but the majority of like let's say the bacon you're getting in the food store super high poofa plus bacon itself is it's a processed meat I really don't think that we should be eating a lot of bacon and hot dogs and uh, delicatessen cold cuts uh, gelatin as well another way to get protein collagen if that works for you I personally find that collagen powder makes me sleepy gelatin does not um, so that's what works for me and of course bone broth but of course the bone broth has to have the chicken feet and the shanks and the oxtail and all these gelatinous cuts cheek to actually be a source of protein otherwise it's just like a mineral rich liquid and what I do to kind of uh, boost the protein of my bone broth is I will add in some gelatin so it boosts it up so that's a little thing you can do right there too and of course you want to get a mix of these you don't just want to eat muscle meat and you don't just want to eat uh, gelatin or bone broth you want to get a good varied amount of these proteins and finally bowel cleansing fibrous carbs root vegetations well-cooked beans or greens and fruit now all of these are mineral sources and they also have gentle fibers that will help clean the bowel for some people beans you're gonna to have to see if that works for you or not it could be the certain type of bean personally for me I do much better with a creamy bean than a starchy bean starchy beans don't really work for me that well even if I cook the shit out of them I really need to eat more of a of a creamy bean and cook them long 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 cook them um, with a piece of um, kombu seaweed which also helps uh, bay leaf and keep in mind that the beans that come in a can are not soaked so those have more of the anti-nutrients locked in which for many people may not be uh, an optimal choice especially if someone's dealing with you know gut issues and things like that and grains can be supportive too it just really depends what type of grains work for you many people who have hypothyroidism or just in general because the wheat has been so abused and perverted do not do well with wheat and it's interesting that one of the proteins in wheat we of course are very familiar with gluten being the main protein in wheat the other protein in wheat is called gliandin but gluten itself when it goes into the system more so when it's not fermented because with sourdough it's actually broken down and kind of restructured but same thing with, with soy what I was talking about natto earlier but when it's not broken down it's just regular gluten in its form if it's a piece of organic toast or something like that that's you know quote good quality the gluten in your body will actually mimic estrogen or it will also mimic Oh, gosh what is it I'm like drawing a blank I had this the other day in my in my mind um, it'll mimic estrogen oh and it will also mimic the stress response so it's really not a good idea for a lot of people to be eating this maybe it's something you eat on special occasions or you stick to the sourdough and I know with a lot of people I've talked to they either will eat gluten and it will make them run to the john straight away and, and you know have a bowel movement go number two or it'll plug them up and they won't use the loo for a couple of days so either your body is like holding on to it because you can't digest it or it's just like running through you which also shows you can't digest it in a certain way some people you know they eat a, a lousy takeout meal they can't use the bathroom for a couple of days or they just they just blow it all out like through diarrhea so 
something to consider there, but in general for optimal health, I wouldn't recommend um, wheat. I really wouldn't recommend any food that can irritate the intestine because anything that's going to irritate the, uh, the bowels or the tract or the digestive tract is going to cause mood issues. I know sometimes we don't think about the food mood connection. It's very, very important. There's a reason why they're putting all these gums in all these foods, especially if you look at the store. A lot of these natural, organic, you know, they put like stupid things like keto and gluten-free and autoimmune paleo and all these like shit for brains type of labels that these companies spend so much money on. But it's got zavin gum, it's got um, guar gum, it's got all of these additives, these preserves, these natty flavors. Those are going to affect your mood. And if you don't believe me, you can do an experiment. You can cut these foods out and you can see how you feel. Something else that could possibly affect your mood too is probiotics with certain strains or even fermented foods with certain strains. There's actually been research that certain probiotics will actually cause depression. I mean, I know when I was like caught up in the whole fermented psyop, which I really do think it's a psyop um, for the most part, our ancestors were preparing those foods that way out of desperation and survival. It wasn't like uh, something they were doing because it was hot cuisine. It really wasn't. No one would really go out of their way to eat rotten food. I, I personally don't think so. And of course, there are certain ferments that are, that are safer than others. But I remember when I was like doing a lot of this back maybe it was like 2017, 2018, and I really didn't feel that good, and I couldn't pinpoint it. I'm thinking, I'm doing all these things, all this totally healthy stuff, making my own ferments, which of course is healthier because it's made with your own biome and your own bacteria than something you get from the store, which also makes me think about, you know, maybe mixing your biome with someone who makes something like a ferment that's not yours. That can cause lots of incongruence inside of your digestive tract, then manifests as a mood disorder. So we have to be very um, aware of these things, these, these mini snares that can cause all types of havoc on, on the system. But once I moved past that fermentation psyop, I felt so much better. So just to recap, daily low-dose aspirin, progesterone, thyroid, vitamin K, an MK4, MK7 formula, adequate animal protein, 100 grams per day, and bowel cleansing, fibrous carbs. And you don't want to go lean on the carbs, I don't think, for most people. I know with myself, if I eat adequate protein, adequate carbs, and I keep my fat moderate, I will feel better, I will look better, and I will be able to maintain like a normal, healthy, like toned body, much more so than if I eat um, more fat and you know lower protein and, and less carbs or even more protein and fat and less carbs for me that's what works better i grew up also on more of a high carbohydrate diet i'm also a blood and those are the type that are supposed to be more on the vegetarian side i don't necessarily believe that plus i don't have the antibodies um, or what you know what science calls antibodies the protein so i'm in the other category of, of the negative um, type but I really think that there's so much bashing out there about carbohydrates and it's really, the solution is not to 100% give them up. And the solution is not to like gorge on the carbohydrates. Like what are the things they always show us to not eat? I was talking about this in the last show. Do we want to eat like some muffin made with some uh, intestinal irritating flour and some polyunsaturated fats? No. Oftentimes we think it's the carbs, but it's really these other things, right? Like we look around and so many people are are so terribly large and we're eating you know less animal foods less protein than we did many centuries ago but 
we're eating heaps of polyunsaturated fats, we're eating heaps of high fructose corn syrup, we're eating foods that are GMO, we're eating foods that are laced with glyphosate, all of that can affect our intestines and our, our mood. Uh, we're eating foods with all of these additives and gums, so there's a reason. And we also have all this Wi-Fi, so there are so many things out there that can snare us and really fiddle with us achieving optimal health. And then just one more thing to, to end that's kind of like a compendium of what I just spoke about in just one sentence to kind of get the idea. Uh, thyroid, saturated lipids, right, because we want to minimize the polyunsaturated fats. We can't 100% get rid of them. That would be ridiculous. We would be eating close to nothing. Um, gelatin, because of course we want to have the context of the amino acids that are in the gelatin and the bone broths, as well as the ones that are in the muscle meat. Progesterone, like we spoke of. Pregnenolone, which works for some people too. This is the um, precursor hormone to progesterone. Something else that some people might want to look into, especially if you're over 40, I would say. Um, it can do a lot for a lot of people. It can also help. It has a skin tightening effect. I actually make this skin cream that has pregnenolone powder in it, and everyone who's used it, and the age range people who have used it have been like late 30s to um, their 70s, and everyone's really liked that skin tightening effect. Something to consider there. Aspirin, like we spoke of. Uh, B vitamins, very important. That's why the emphasis on the protein. Protein in, in, in general is rich in B vitamins. Sometimes we may need to supplement when we are in a deficit, something to consider there. Um, we talked about fruit. We talked about root vegetations, proper carbohydrates, and salt. Of course, salt has been totally villainized, especially in the context of pregnancy when women are carrying, um, you know, extra uh, water weight, like what they call like an edema. Salt is incredibly um, healing food. We've been told all these lies that it causes all these things. Of course, you don't want to like eat a half a cup a day. That would be absolute nonsense. But what I just went through in that list, these are all essential to restore the body's defenses. So it may be counter to a lot of the information out there. But basically, in a nutshell, it's supplements that are holistically supportive of the body's um, energy restoration, the key, the prana, and the vril, and a diet which has adequate animal protein, adequate carbohydrates, a moderate amount of saturated fat, and bowel cleansing fibrous material so we can shuttle out all of those excess hormones and of course making sure that it's low in all of these uh, toxins as well as the guar gums and the natty flavors and all of that and if you give those things up will you possibly be eating less of the foods that are processed in a box absolutely but you'll feel a hundred times better and you'll also have a really great feeling that you could make this yourself, like making your own crackers, making your own cookies. Like it's a real sense of pride to be able to make those things yourself. And I guarantee once you do, you won't go back. Or if you're eating more of this diet, and not diet, whey, let's call it the dough, you're going to not even crave those things. So I'm gonna leave it at that. It's about 31 minutes in. I've got to move my body and get some exercise now. I bid everyone uh, a groovy Tuesday, and we will meet again soon. Satnam.